don't just accept it's normal. I'm willing to put my body through this for answers. It is a taboo topic. I didn't remember what being pain-free felt like. Hello and welcome to Overreacting. My name's Tess McAvoy. If you've clicked on this link, you probably have a good idea of who I am already. Um, I'm a student, I'm a lifeguard, daughter, sister. Um, but something you may not know about me is that I have struggled, especially over the past couple of years, um, with really horrible period pain. Um, and I've sort of gone on a journey um, to find out where this pain's coming from. And through that, I have learnt a lot about um, reproductive health and also endometriosis. Um, something you may also not be aware of is that this March is Endometriosis Awareness Month. Um, and after learning all this information about endometriosis and uh, women's health, in the lead up to this month, I've sort of been feeling a bit helpless about how I can help the cause. Um, I'm a poor uni student, so money is not really something that I have a lot of, um, especially not a lot to donate. So I was thinking, how can I help get the word out there about what I've learned? Um, because it is a really important topic. And that's why I've started this podcast. So uh, today I'm actually going to be speaking with my friend Brianna. Um, I've known her for a couple of years now. Uh, she lives with stage four endometriosis and has a really inspiring story about uh, perseverance and how she's dealt with her own health issues over the years. Um, before we get to that, though, I want to just talk about what endometriosis actually is. It's a condition which affects one in 10 women, which is a staggering statistic considering how little people actually know about it. You might have heard the name before, it's a, it's a mouthful, um, but not many people actually know what it is. And a lot of women go through life um, perpetuating this myth that painful periods are normal when actually they're not. Uh, I spent most of my life being told that my pain was normal, that me leaving class to lie in the sick bay for three hours was normal. Uh, that some women just vomit when they get their period. And the fact is that that is all false. Uh, periods should not be that debilitating that you can't have a normal life, that you can't work, you can't go to school. And this is the case for a lot of women. One in ten. It's such a crazy statistic. I still think about it. Currently, it takes seven years for someone to get a diagnosis which is an incredibly long time and just proves um, my understanding that not that many people really know what's going on with this, with women's health in general. So seven years to get a diagnosis. Uh, so I think talking about the condition, getting the word out there is one thing I can do to help lower the, those statistics. Even if we do have one in 10 women suffering, at least they can have some answers. So if you learn anything from this podcast, I encourage you to share it um, verbally on social media. Let's get the word out this March. Um, it's also International Women's Day today. Uh, so I think it's especially important to bring this up um, in light of women's struggles 
um, and that this is not the end of our fight. It's actually just a start. And I think one way we can contribute to that um, is by beginning the discussion around women's health. Talking um, with Brianna, I just want to explain what endometriosis actually is. So when a woman gets their period, a lining builds up on the inside of their uterus. And this is like a bed for a baby. So your body's preparing to have a child. So it builds up this nice little thick lining of blood around the uterus. If you don't don't become pregnant in that time, um, that lining is not necessary. So your body sheds it. And that is our period. Um, when someone has endometriosis, it, that blood actually grows outside of the uterus on different body parts. So um, generally, this is around the stomach wall, um, other reproductive organs like the ovaries, the fallopian tubes. Um, but in some rare cases, it has grown elsewhere on the lungs, the brain. So it's a really invasive condition. Um, and the blood that grows elsewhere outside of the uterus actually mimics the blood inside the uterus. So during that shedding period, that blood that's caught on the ovaries, the fallopian tubes, elsewhere, all sheds as well, causing excruciating pain. Some women don't experience any pain, and I think that's important to mention. Um, the pain that you experience is not necessarily connected to the stage of your endometriosis. So some women experience extreme pain, but nothing will show up on their scans, which is something that I have experienced. Um, and then other women will experience very little pain um, and not realize that they actually have endometriosis until they can't have children or they are going in for a different surgery and it's accidentally found. So there's a lot we don't know about endometriosis. There's no cure at the moment. And the only way that you can get a diagnosis is through surgery. So because endometriosis only shows up as sort of a color, um, it doesn't form a real solid mass. It doesn't show up on ultrasounds. Um, and there are there's more increasing technology that's able to see endometriosis, um, but the gold standard is through surgery. Uh, so a lot of women go undiagnosed, which is why we have that seven-year average. So it's a really important condition that's affecting so many people. Um, and I think it's important I should say that when I'm talking about people and women, I'm also talking about um, non-binary and transgender people because they also suffer um, from this debilitating condition and should be included in the discourse around endometriosis. If you take anything away from this podcast today, um, the one thing I would ask of you is to share it around. Tell your friends, talk to your family members, talk to the women in your life, um, because it is likely that you know someone with endometriosis. And as we talk about in the podcast, even just asking how you are can make such a big difference. Uh, so without further ado, I'll start my conversation with Brianna. Thank you for tuning in. So I am here with the lovely Brianna Luckins, who is a friend of mine who's really helped me on my journey, and I also work with her. So hi, Brie. Hello. Welcome. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I guess, do you want to start by just telling us a bit about who you are and what your diagnosis is? So my name is Brianna, as Tess said, and I'm 22 years old, 
and I've been diagnosed with endometriosis and recently adenomyosis. That's a mouthful. <laughs> I said it a bit wrong, but yeah. Yeah, so when when did you, I guess, notice that something was wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> um, it actually goes back to when I was really little. I was eight and being eight and in year three, you don't do sex ed. Yeah. Um, and I got my period and I had no idea what it was. I literally thought I just wet myself <laughs> And it was like blood. Eight is quite young, isn't it? So young. Yeah. I was year three. Like I had, I had no idea what it was. So I just like I wasn't stressed or anything, and I just made a passing comment to mum. Um, and then I got worried because mum was like, "What?" I'm like, and so from mum's reaction, that's when I was like, "Oh, okay, maybe this isn't normal for yeah. my age." I just, I, I don't know what I thought. I just. Period was definitely not the first thing I thought because I didn't even know what it was. So I remember mum sat me down in my room and gave me the whole talk very quick, but she was still very confused. Yeah. Um, and she explained that, you know, it doesn't normally happen at my age. So in my mind, I just saw the benefits that I didn't have to go to school the next day. It's always a win. <laughs> so I could go to the doctor. So we went to the doctor in the morning. And to be honest, that was actually quite traumatic because... Um, it was the first time in my life I'd felt like something wasn't right. Yeah. Um, and also the doctor actually wanted to have a look and kind of looking back, I'm like quite young. Yeah. I was very young. <laughs> so yeah, I remember I was very uncomfortable. Like mum was there and like, it was all, you know, fine, but yeah, it was just very traumatizing, I suppose. So I had, yeah, my first period at eight. Um, I had like a little bit of spotting afterwards but I didn't actually have anything again until I was 10 and I was actually away with my dad and my brother and I was like oh shit <laughs> it always comes at the worst time <laughs> and I remember I stole dad's phone and I called mum and I was like what do I do that was from then onwards when my periods were regular and to be honest I thought they were normal I remember them being quite heavy um like a bit crampy but nothing that I thought was ridiculous yeah. Um, I didn't actually, like, looking back, I don't actually think I thought my periods were ridiculous or out of the norm. It was more other symptoms, um, like a PE, didn't matter what we were doing. I was also um, a swimmer, but swimming didn't affect me as much. It was more anything running, netball. I'd always be like, oh, I've got to stitch my ovary. And everyone would look at me like I was yeah, <laughs> just like from another planet because it wasn't like a normal stitch and it would always come anytime I ran or jumped. It was like, literally, that's the only way I could describe it. That's a really it. common thing as well, yeah. isn't it? Exercise. Is well, now like I something, know, but yeah, yeah, they say that's something that's meant to help with your symptoms, but it actually is all it's very painful. painful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would mention things to, you know, PE teacher, netball coach, and no one got it. It was just like, you know... They almost thought I was trying to get out of it or complaining, but really I just wanted to keep going, but it was it was really difficult for me. So I kind of kept it quiet when I realised no one was really saying anything. You know, yeah. they were just like, it's fine, like keep going. So I didn't really t tell anyone, but I would really struggle all the way through. Because um, you don't want people to think that you're like a drama queen or... No, and I think that, you know, because... <laughs> 
Not that I can be a drama queen, but I can be a drama queen. I think that's what people thought. Yeah. Um, so and there were always those pe- those girls in high school that, like, didn't oh. have their period, but they didn't want to do swimming sports. Did everything in their, you know, possible power to get out of sport. Whereas I actually enjoyed it. I've always loved sport. Yeah. I wanted to keep going, and I felt, you know, actually physically limited, but I couldn't explain that to anyone. So we get to when I was um, about 14, I was year. Again, I don't really remember my periods being that bad, but they were clearly bothering me enough that mum took me to the doctor. And, you know, we were told it's normal, it's fine, whatever. A couple months later, mum took me again, and that's when they started talking about birth control pill to help with my periods. So, yeah, mum says that they were painful, but I don't know if I've just put it out of my mind. Yeah. Because it was clearly bad enough for the doctor to put me on the pill at 14, but yeah. Yeah, because that's quite a young... But I've, I relate to that. Like, when I started telling people recently about my struggles with period pain, I had friends from high school be like, oh, yeah, I remember you having to go to sick bay. I remember you, like, at schoolies, you were in bed for a whole week. Like, yeah. you didn't come out. But you don't remember that. You and just kind of, like, get it out of your mind. Because you don't want to be that person that's just always talking about how they're in pain and especially in high school you just want to fit in like you don't want to be different yeah you know and I remember um at the school I went to you go to China in year nine so I had this pill with me but I did everything I could to make sure no one else saw it because I I felt like I would have to justify as well why I was on it when really it helped me tremendously um and up until you know, probably 17, I seemed to have pretty normal periods. They were okay. I could manage them. So when I was first looking kind of at the endodiagnosis, it wasn't really my periods that were the issue. It was all the other things, um, like my discomfort just in general, but usually still my bowel. So we always kind of pursued, you know, the um, gastroenterologists and stuff like that because yeah. we thought it was an issue with my bowel. Um, and that's how endo kind of came up. I was asked about my periods. And then it was like, well, yeah, actually I got my periods quite young. And then talking about the pill when I went on the pill. And that's when it was first mentioned to me, you could have endometriosis. And I was 16, never heard of it, Googled it. And yeah. all the symptoms, I was like, this makes so much sense. So you thought you had like IBS or yeah, something so, like that? Yeah, and I was diagnosed with IBS and fructose intolerance, lactose intolerance, which is actually extremely common yeah. with people with endo. But at the time, I didn't know that. So kind of I went through all that first, um, colonoscopies, and it all kind of came back normal. So that's why when things come back normal, they put it down to IBS. Yeah. Um, which is basically, you know, your bowel is spasming when you have foods that you shouldn't have, yeah. which is, in my case, the lactose or fructose, gluten. So I follow a FODMAP diet, which also helped with my symptoms. Um, so we went to a gynecologist, which was my first time, and, you know, we went through my history, and um, she basically said, I think you might have it, but you're too young, I don't want it do anything with it. So just come see me if you're still having troubles when you're 18. So, um, oh, that's helpful, isn't it? Very helpful. <laughs> At the time. Um, we get to year 12 and year 12 is already stressful yeah. as it is. And I 
did not stop bleeding. It was maybe three months and it was right near exams. So I was so fatigued because my iron was so low. Yeah. So um, again, went back to the doctor and they put the rod in my arm, which was the worst experience because I reacted with acne and it stopped my periods. But I was miserable. So I didn't actually last very long with it at all. Yeah. Um, probably like a month. Um, so I had that taken out. And then this is where kind of I started to take control of my own symptoms. You know, yeah. being now, okay, I'm 18 years old. I had just started dating my now boyfriend, Daniel. And um, Hi, Daniel. <laughs> Hi, Daniel. <laughs> so we went, well, I went back to the same gynecologist that said, come back when you're 18 if you're still having issues. I'm like, hi, I'm back. I'm 18 and I'm still having issues. <laughs> Nothing's changed. And she actually changed her thought. She was like, um, I don't think you have it. And I was so convinced by this stage I had it. Like, my symptoms matched everything. But also I almost like, not that I craved the diagnosis, but I wanted yeah. a diagnosis because all these years it was, oh, we don't know. Yeah. And I was just like, just can we just put a name to it all? Um, so she sends me off with all the classic ultrasounds and pelvic exams and, oh, we're not sure. And um, by this stage, um, I had realised how painful intercourse was. Yeah. It's just like deadly. Like I didn't even want to think about it. Uh, and so that was my main thing that I was like, this is not normal. Because, yeah. you know, you ne you never know if your periods are normal or not. Like, how do you know? You've got nothing to compare it to. Yeah. But I suppose it was the first time that I was like, okay, none of my friends seem to be having this issue. It's just me. It's embarrassing. I, I felt like I, I don't know, like I just couldn't be a woman. It's just like, not something you talk about, like, in sex ed as well. No. Like, in school, it's not something you're exposed to, like, the thought that it might be painful after the first time. Yeah. You know, everyone's always like, oh, it'll be painful the, the first, first time, time you have sex, and then after that, you'll be fine. Like, I yeah. never heard any stories of anyone having pain. So I guess you would sort of, like, minimise your yeah. pain and be like, oh, maybe I'm just, like, really well, sensitive or something. And that's what I thought. Like, I had been through, like, every possible conclusion, and – you know, Daniel is an absolute babe to this day and he was always so amazing and understanding about it. But I was the one very emotional about it and I didn't feel like I could open up to anyone either. Definitely did not tell my parents. Like I've only just spoken to my mum about it, you know, mm. four or five years later. Um, and I spoke about it to my friends and it would just kind of like be a joke almost. Yeah. Um, what did your gyno say? She was like, you know, well, actually, before we got to the gyno, I, to get my referral again, because it had expired. So I asked her for the referral, and she's like, you're 18, why do you need this referral? So I started explaining it to her, and I explained that I'd already been there. And when I mentioned how painful intercourse was, I still, I'm so angry at this comment. She said, have you tried lube? <laughs> and <laughs> I was just like, have I tried? Like, I have tried everything. Like, are you actually joking? I was so angry. I remember calling Daniel, like, fuming. Yeah. Um, so she ended up reluctantly giving me this referral. Yeah. So now we get to the gynecologist. I was explaining all this to her. And she was – she didn't actually want to operate on me. Um, 
I literally had to convince her to operate yeah. on me. I and said, I'm willing to put my body through this for answers. Best case scenario, we come out of the operation and I'm fine. Yeah. You know? Yes, and this is annoying. the thing that like a lot of people don't know about endo is that you cannot get a confirmed diagnosis through scans. You have to go into keyhole surgery. And especially when you're young, surgeons don't want to do it because mm. it's considered invasive. So the yeah, to actually get your answer, your diagnosis, you actually have to go under the knife. There's it may show up on other scans, but that's not a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And my scans were completely clear. Yeah. Um, nothing showed up on them. So I booked in for my first surgery and I had the biggest panic attack before I went in because I was thinking for the first time, I was like, oh my God, like what if this is all in my head? Like I'm just making this up. Maybe I am just a drama queen. And I freaked out and Daniel was there with me. My parents couldn't be there. Um, and he was like, just like calm down. Like he just yeah. didn't get it. He was trying to calm me down. I was just like working me up more. Um, and then whatever, I cried the whole way in and then they finally put me to sleep. And when I woke up, I remember the surgeon had said before I went in, if so they'll go in first. If there's nothing there, you'll have two incisions. If there's something there, we'll have to make more incisions and you'll have around four. I woke up feeling drugged as anything and the first thing I did was look under my sheets to see how many incisions I had and I had four incisions and my heart was just like relaxed like it was just like oh it was the biggest relief they hadn't even told me yes or no yet um and then that's when I I wouldn't stop asking was it endo was it endo was it endo I was whack out of it but that's all I was thinking yeah because you you don't want to believe that you're just a drama queen. But, yeah. like, when people are saying things like, oh, have you tried lube? Like, have you gotten an ultrasound? Like, of course you start to believe that. And, yeah. And it's as awful as it is to get told that you have this debilitating disease. Like, that's that must have been so much relief for you. So much relief. Um, and I remember the nurse. She was an absolute babe. She was, like, <laughs> very calmly, yes, they found endo. Um, your surgeon will come speak to you soon. So as I started coming around, I was so sick. I was nauseous. I was vomiting. Really wasn't cute. Blood pressure dropped. But anyway, once I had recovered <laughs> from all that, um, the surgeon came around. And in this like weird way, it's still so satisfying to me how shocked she was. Yeah. Because she wasn't expecting to find jack shit. And my surgery went for an extra 45 minutes and anticipated as well and when she told me that and she's like look it was actually widespread and um some of the lesions were quite old as well it was just like okay it's confirmed I'm not crazy yeah and you haven't been crazy for the last 10 years of your life yeah so um look we don't know when the endo started wasn't my first period it was when I got a little bit older they and it's just one of these things you don't even know um what is it something that when you're born you're genetically prone to yeah you know all these questions we don't yet know but and that's why like this research and like the funding is so important because if you don't know where something comes from how are you supposed to treat it and that's the problem there is no treatment at the moment about probably a month after my first surgery so yes I had all these random pains but Somehow, I still don't understand it myself, 
all the specialists, but I somehow developed chronic pelvic pain after my first surgery. Constant pain, um, didn't matter what I did, it was just, it was just there. Um, and I couldn't understand it because I was like, you know, the endo's just been cleared out. I'm well and like well far enough past the surgery now to for it not to be from the surgery itself. And it was just constantly there. I'd wake up with it. I started relying heavily on pain relief. Yeah. It was a really, really well for the next, you know, twelve months which I'll get into, it was a really tough time for me. The toughest time I'd ever had in my life. Um so I ended up seeing a different specialist after six months because um this surgeon, although I'm grateful that she was responsible for my diagnosis, even though I had to push it forward. Yeah. Um, she kind of didn't have a game plan. Yeah. It was just I went up for my went for my checkup. She showed me the pictures. You know, this is where it was. This was widespread. Here's the name. That was it. There was yeah. no. So this is what we're gonna do. There was no. This is a disease. She just kind of left me with that. And I remember walking back to my car and just like bawling my eyes out and calling mum because I was like, but what does this mean? Was she um, like a specialist in endometriosis? Because I know a lot of gynos, like they're more into the sort of fertility stuff. And so you might go to your gyno, you get that referral, but they actually only did like a week in uni on endometriosis. So they know what it looks like. But yeah, like you said, no game plan. Yeah. And now I know... She's not actually an endometriosis excision specialist. She's a gynecologist who has interest in endometriosis. Yeah. Um, So that was probably the biggest thing for me. Um, So did you, um, because I think people don't know the difference between what an excision surgery looks like and what an ablation surgery looks like. Which one did you have and can you like explain the difference so the ablation is basically like they burn off the endo which means it's more likely to return quicker the endo returns full stop um but with the excision it they actually cut it out from underneath um and take it out so the chances of coming back in that exact same area like could be right next to it but it's not going to be the same spot coming up yeah when they laser it off it can just grow back the same one yeah. Um, so apparently I did have excisions though um, okay. in the first one, but I'm not so sure about that personally because um, after a couple of months, I found very simple things like just walking, stretching my arm out to get something, I got the sharpest pains. So that's why I started seeing someone different and I had an MRI and the MRI actually showed um, lesions, um, scar tissue. And I had a colonoscopy as well. And the colonoscopy was actually failed because I had a scar tissue wrapped around my bowel, which explains some issues I was having. Yep. (laughs) Um, and they couldn't even get through with the pediatric scope. It was that thin. So it was after I woke up from that surgery, I got, um, referred to a colorectal surgeon and he works with the um, gynecologist, the new specialist I was seeing, who actually happened to deliver me, which is a bit oh, weird. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Full circle. Intense. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we get to my second surgery. So my second surgery was only six months after my first one, which is very unusual. Yeah. And it's a big toll on your body. Even though it's, you know, K-hole surgery, 
it's exhausting. I felt like I had just recovered from my first one when yeah. I went for the second one. And um, yes, there was a little bit of endo that had grown back, so that was taken out, but my biggest issue was adhesions. So um, they said the main thing they did in the surgery was division of adhesions. And looking at my pictures, you literally see my right ovary was attached to my stomach wall, my bowel was pulled over here, I had something wrapped around my bowel, everything was just stuck everywhere, which explains why I would literally stretch my arm out and I would get the sharpest pain. Because everything was connected. Everything. Yeah. So anyway, we had the second surgery and once again, pain was still there. And um, he said, look, there's no other gynecological issues inside, which turns out was false, but we'll get to that. (laughs) Um, And he's like, we can either refer you to a pain specialist or you could try a naturopath path. And I was, I've always been one of these like (laughs) anti-naturopath kind of people like, anti-natural healing if I'm perfectly honest because I was just I never understood how but I was like I don't want to go to a pain specialist because it's just going to be like let's just top you up with medication and um I was also by the stage second year uni into my nursing degree so I was also a bit more aware of medications and the effects than probably the average person would be so I went to the naturopath found this legend in um, Coburg. So I would travel, I would hike over. um, And it was just amazing. I was, as I said, I was so sceptical. And I drank this what I would call potion in the morning. (laughs) And it tasted like absolute shit. And all of a sudden, I started feeling better. Yeah. Every single day, better and better and better. And it was so emotional for me. I remember in my first appointment with her, she said... Very casually, hopefully in six months we'll have you pain free. (laughs) And I burst into tears. I was an absolute wreck because the idea of being pain free was just so overwhelming for me because I didn't I didn't remember what being pain free felt like. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to go back to my pre diagnosis of not knowing. And then you're also thinking, well, I was sure I had these symptoms, but I was kind of okay before my diagnosis and my first surgery. Like, what changed? You know, like, I felt like I'd actually done something worse by going ahead with the surgeries. It's like you got that answer of what it was, but now that you know what it is, you're, like, hyper aware of it. And then you've got those extra complications that would be so, like, mentally draining. It was completely mentally draining. And as a result, I changed myself. I didn't want to see my friends. Um, you know, I had Daniel there, but I wasn't happy. I was, I was just miserable inside and I didn't really open up to anyone about that. Um, I would cry a lot and like, it would kind of just, and it always has been, I'm just an emotional gal, like always have been, (laughs) always will be. But But also like, I don't know, I feel like that's a thing that people who experience chronic pain, they say that, oh, I'm just emotional. And women often get put down as just being emotional. But that's that's not it. Like, you're actually living day to day in incredible pain. You're waking up where other people just wake up and get on with their day. Like, and the pain's already there. It's completely sleep. different, it, yeah. It doesn't leave you alone. And, um, yeah, I would just, I would cry for nothing. I would literally see a flower on a tree and just cry. <laughs> like, it was ridiculous, but it was it was horrible. It was a horrible time for me. Um, at this stage, 
I mean, my family and I, yeah, and even me, I didn't know that much about endo at the time. I know a lot more now. I also yeah. don't know everything. No one knows everything, but yeah. even I, the doctors I, don't. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have enough education on it. Yeah, I felt like you know this word had just been thrown at me, but there was no. This is what it is. This is our game plan. Yeah, and this is how it's going to be okay in the end. I wasn't told how it's going to be okay. So this naturopath is like the first person that's come forward to first you person. and said, "We have a plan for you to actually live your life." Yeah. I felt like the diagnosis consumed me. Yeah. It was almost like an excuse for everything. Um, not necessarily an excuse, but it was like, you know, I've got a tummy ache or my bowels playing up. Oh, it's the endo. I feel really fatigued. It's the endo. You know, it was almost like my answer yeah. for everything. Um, so it actually got to the point that Daniel and I, we actually broke up for a bit because – I had just changed as a person and as a result he had fallen out of love with me a little bit and I had fallen out of love with him. Yeah. It it got really, really, I suppose, stale. Um, yet we both loved each other still so much and yeah. we'd been through so much. But I, I think, think that's just... why we like it's great that people are starting to talk about it a heap more because it's not just the women out there who are experiencing this pain, it's the whole family and the people around you like your relationships mm-hmm. your mental health like everyone's along for the ride all the yeah. ups and downs you know you drag everyone else through without even realizing it and I know even mum can get very emotional and she's always apologizing that I have to go through this and she's always saying you know if I could take the pain away I would if I could have the disease I would you know it's mm-hmm. it's draining on mum because she I suppose almost feels I would say responsible for it in a way from the way she speaks when, you know, mum doesn't have endo, um, lucky, (laughs) but yeah, it's, it's really affected everyone. And, um, I've got two amazing dads and, you know, obviously they don't know what it's like. Um, and it's been really hard on them as well because, you know, you see me in this pain, but there's nothing they can do. Yeah. All they can do is offer, you know, do another three minutes of your heat pack. And I, I almost feel bad because I, I, at the time, I was so consumed by it. I wasn't seeing how it was affecting everyone else. Yeah. Um, so I just took some good old time and worked on myself. I, you know, that time that Daniel and I worked together was a really difficult time, but it was, I think, the best time because, yeah, I could just, yeah, literally just work on myself and trying to overcome, you know, I'm Brianna. I'm not the girl with endo, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like, this is me, so and let's Endo isn't this. who you are. It's part of your life. Yeah, yeah. and that's what that's what it came to. Yeah. It was, you know, endo was part of my life. Endo runs my life. So, yeah, it took me a while. I, and I um, focused on my friendships a lot more over that time. Um, and I started kind of talking about my endo a lot during that time I had kept it pretty quiet and I'm an open book like <laughs> I would tell you anything but I kept it really quiet I was embarrassed by it because I also felt like other people would feel uncomfortable uncomfortable yeah talking about it it is a taboo topic yeah 100% anything to do with women's reproductive health is not really spoken about people don't want to talk about yeah. it especially men and um I've kind of loved how you know what some of my Actually, I'm going to say all my guy friends are probably more on it than yeah. a lot of my girlfriends. 
you know, yeah. they, they're always asking me how I am, if they can do anything. And even at work, it's been a massive change. And I'm so glad that I found the strength to talk about it. Um, you know, even yesterday I was at work and the duty manager came up to me and he, and he just said straight away, like, if you need a break, if you need to sit down, just let me know. And I was almost like taken aback because I was just like, you know what, like no one else would ask that when sometimes I do, I just need to sit down for a minute and yeah. I would literally be fine. But, you know, it was, it was just, it was really special, I felt. Yeah. And it's not coming from a place of like pity no. as well. Like people you don't want people to this. look down on you. It's just, it's just asking that one time, like, hey, I'm here if you need, you yeah. know? And yeah. it, I don't think people realize, you know, what a small gesture does. It you know, yeah, it blows me away every time. You know, I don't need someone to hold a hand all day and feel pity on me. I don't want any pity on me. That just makes mm. it worse. Yeah, you know, sometimes you just got to be like, "How are you doing?" And I know I do this with you sometimes. It's like you know, like we'll send each other pictures of a shit day and heat packs and everything, and it's just like this is shit. Yeah, you know. But just sharing but, that experience with someone, or like, yeah, having someone know what you're going through is enough. Yeah. What would you say, like, if there's someone listening to this right now and they know someone that's in pain, maybe they have endo, maybe they don't, but, you know, they're experiencing chronic pain, what would you say, like, if they feel like they're helpless? Because I think a lot of partners, definitely um, mums, yeah. dads, feel helpless. Like, what, what's something they could do, like, right now to help that person? Literally just ask, how are you? Like, and, you know, when you get the generic, oh, I'm good, no, like, how are you actually? Because I think we all naturally just go, oh, I'm good, how are you? Yeah. yeah. And it's like when really you're having the shittest day of your life, but who would know that? Yeah. So just actually talking to that person and, you know, what kind of pain are you feeling today? Okay, just so that person can just say it out loud. You don't need to do anything. We don't expect you to do anything. But it's almost just having someone to listen, yeah. I think, is the biggest thing. You know, you don't need to have the answers. Um, and especially if you just say something like, I'm, I wish I could help you, yeah, but I can't help you. And if you talking to me helps you talk, you yeah. know, just <laughs> spill it out because it makes a massive difference. And I think that is what's helped me get from this, you know, quiet. I don't tell anyone. It was literally almost just between Daniel and I, yeah. what was going on. And no wonder that was such a burden on your relationship. Yeah. If, if that's the only person you can talk to. Obviously, that becomes your world, and Literally. that's a big thing for some one person to take on. Yeah, exactly. And especially at such a young age, you know, yeah. we were eighteen, nineteen, twenty, like twenty-two now, going on twenty-three. But that's a young age, you know. Our first relation, major relationship, and yeah. Um, yeah so just, I think talking has—I'm not going to say healed me, but healed me. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. It's just talking has helped me. And the fact that you talk about it, right, meant that I could actually come to you when yeah. I thought I was going through similar stuff, you know, so you're actually creating a discourse um, for other people to step forward, you know, even just explaining that you're in pain is enough for someone to go, oh, actually, maybe my pain isn't normal. Yeah. And that's such Literally. a big myth, isn't it? Because mm -hmm. my whole life I've been told that period pain is just mm -hmm. normal and some women have it bad, some women don't have it bad. But actually, like, the pain itself is, it's fucked. Yeah. Like, it 
That's literally the best way to put it. It's fucked. Yeah, and people need to, like, once you hear someone else talk about how it's fucked, then you're like, oh, maybe I'm not crazy. And it allows other people to step forward and actually try and get some sort of, even if it's not a diagnosis, at least get that support from your partner, from your parents, Mm -hmm. friends, you know. So it's a really powerful thing that you've done. I know it's helped you personally, but you've actually helped other people. I hope so. I mean, if I can talk about it and that helps people, well, that's what I'll do. And, um, you know, there was this one girl I was on a nursing placement with and she was really struggling with pain. And I started asking her a bit more questions about it. I was like, if you don't mind, but, you know, both being nurses, we were like, oh. (laughs) Um, And she was saying, you know, how painful her periods are and everything. I was like, you do know that's not normal. And she was almost like, look at me like I was an alien or something. She was like, what? Anyway, a couple months later, I get a message from her on Facebook and she said, thank you so much. I've just had my first surgery and being diagnosed with endo. And to this day, nothing else has made me more proud. Like, yeah. I was like, thank goodness. Because I could have just, you know, stood there like thinking, yeah, well, I get pain too. Yeah. You know, or I've got this worse than you. Well, no. And I think sometimes, um, even last night, my sister is on her period. <laughs> Sorry, Tessa. <laughs> but, you know, she was really struggling with cramps. But the first thing she said is, oh, I can't complain to you because you've got it worse. And I said, no. Like, yeah. <laughs> complain to me. Like, if, you're, if you've got cramps, if you're in pain, it's okay. not a competition. No. Yeah. Like, let's talk about that. And I've had a lot of comments like that. You know, people have naturally said, like, oh, I'm having a really bad day. Like, who are you today? And then they realize who they're talking to and they're like, oh, I know it's like nothing on your pain. And it's like, no, like, how do we know that your pain's not worse than my pain right now? Like, we should just start talking about it. Whether you have painful periods or not, let's start talking about periods and reproductive health and vaginas and actually using the correct terminology and not just like hiding in the staff room sobbing. Literally, done that a couple of times. <laughs> I think everyone has. I mean, you know, even if it's not, period related I think everyone's had moments where you just feel like if only one person asked me if I'm okay yeah you know simply just feeling overwhelmed yeah you know I want to ask what if there's someone listening to this and they're feeling period pain ovulation pain anything in general and they just they have that suspicion that something's not right because often your gut tells you yeah what what would you say what your what's your advice to them Go to the doctor and be that queen bitch. You know, you demand. Don't take their word because they're a doctor, because they've studied all these years. Don't just accept it's normal. Yeah. If you feel like it's not normal, and I feel like most people I've spoken to with endo had that gut feeling, this isn't normal, persist with that. And just say, and you know what, keep going to different doctors until you actually find someone that's willing to listen. Because that's yeah. what I did. Because let me tell you, Dr. Lou, like, <laughs> I haven't gone anywhere near it. So just persist and just, you know, believe it in your gut. Let's cut down on that seven-year statistic. Yeah. Let's make it one diagnosis straight away. ASAP. Yeah. So fight for your pain. Yeah. That's your, yeah. And talk. Talk about it. It's why we're doing this. Yeah. It's super uncomfortable for us, but... So uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) But I think the message that you're sending is really important. And I think you think about that one in 10 women are experiencing this pain. Is it one in 10 people presenting it? No. No. So 
that's the sort of gap we need to be filling. Um, and the only way we can do that is by talking about it. So thank you so much for coming and thank talking you. to me. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you end these things. I don't know. <laughs> See you later, guys. <laughs> so that concludes my discussion with Brianna. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast. Um, as you can tell, this is a really important topic and I hope that you learned something and that you can go out into the world now and feel confident talking about it, raising awareness. Um, and please, if you do have some money to spare, I will leave a link um, nearby for you to donate to Endometriosis Australia. Um, because as you can tell, there's so much funding and resources that need to be poured into this. Um, and we can all be a part of that journey. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening.